Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, welcome back to week two of Samson and the Power of. Come on, if you were not here last week, we started a new series and it's called Samson and the Power of. And it's called Samson and the Power of because we're looking at the life of Samson. And Samson was a, a very powerful man called to live a very powerful life. Kind of like my man Scott Gurley down the front here. Don't let the name throw you out. All right, it's a powerful man right here. But we're looking at Samson. We're looking at Samson. And Samson's story begins in Judges chapter 13. And this is what it says about Samson right at the outset of his life. The angel appeared to Samson's mother and said, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is, is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So for Samson, he was called to be the one who would take the lead in delivering Israel from the Philistines. They had been waiting for so long now for somebody to come and rescue them and to take them out of the oppression that they were facing. And finally, Samson was here. Finally, Samson was among them. Not only was he called to lead the Israelites out of oppression, he was also called to be a Nazarite. And if you remember from last week, being a Nazarite, it meant that you took a certain vow and, and there were some certain things that you, that you weren't meant to be doing if you were a Nazarite. First of all, you had to abstain from anything grape or raisin related. So you couldn't touch grapes, you couldn't drink wine, you couldn't drink grape juice. You had to stay away from all of that. Another aspect of it was you could not cut your hair. And then the third aspect was you could not touch a dead body. This was it, you actually could not go near a dead body. So even if one of your own family members die, you could not go near them for the duration of this vow. And it was a very serious vow that was taken. Most people would not take this vow for life. Most people would take this vow for, for a week or maybe a couple of months, but not, not a lifetime, not a lifetime. But part of Samson's calling was to be a Nazarite his whole life. So he would be set apart from, for God his entire life. And so he would be set apart and he would deliver the Israelites from the oppression. The only downfall here is that if you know much about Samson, even though he had calling, he didn't have character. And because Samson did not have character, he missed out on God's call on his life. And it's really interesting because for Samson, we look at a lot of the decisions that he made in his life. He made a lot of decisions, decisions that did line up with what God had for him, but Samson also made a whole lot of decisions that didn't. And in the end, Samson lacked the conviction that the call of God required. And even though he did have the calling, he didn't have the conviction, and because of that, his life resulted in compromise. And this is what we're looking at Today, if you remember from last week, we looked at Samson and the power of potential. And we looked at the fact that even though Samson had all the potential in the world to take a hold of everything that God had for him, potential alone was not enough to get him there. Now, this week we are looking at Samson and the power of compromise. And if you've got your Bibles here, you can open a Bible up, you can open an app up. We're gonna have a look at Judges chapter 14. And we're actually gonna spend most of today in Judges chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. But while you're opening there, I wanna have a look at, at the type of compromise that we're gonna be looking at today. Because really there are two different types of compromise. You've got black and white compromise and you've got gray compromise and black and white compromise. That's the compromise that you don't even really need to think about. That's the obvious stuff, the things that, that you don't need to think about, you don't need to pray about, you just know you do not do 
these things? I mean, should I go and lay down in the, in the middle of the road at nighttime? No. I mean, you don't need to think about that. Should I see how much dishwashing liquid I can drink in one moment? No. This is black and white. Should I have an affair in my marriage? No. Should I have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend I'm not married to? No. Should I rob someone on the way home from church tonight? No, don't do that. But these things, they're black and white. We don't have to think about them. I'm not gonna contemplate whether I should or should not rob someone on the way home tonight. I'm not gonna pray about it. I'm not gonna seek for God's wisdom and counsel on whether I should rob someone on the way home. I know I shouldn't do it. It's black and white. And we all face decisions like this in life. You know, we, we read all throughout the Bible, people face these decisions. In the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter three, we read about some guys who were facing a black and white decision in their life. If you wanna turn there, Daniel chapter three, it's really interesting. We read that there was a king who made a statue that was nine foot wide and 90 feet high. And he told everyone, he said, hey, when my band starts jamming, everyone needs to bow down and worship me. In fact, he took it to the next level and this is what he said in verse six. He says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so one day, the band comes through town and they start playing and everybody knew when the band starts playing, we've got to bow down. This is what we have to do. If we don't, we're gonna get thrown into a furnace. And so the band comes through and they start, start playing and one by one, everyone in this town starts bowing down. And everyone's bowing down to this, to this monument, to, to this statue and and all of a sudden they look around and they see three guys still standing. And it was pretty obvious that they were standing. I mean, everyone else is bowing down, but here's three guys who refused to bow. And you read that the king's officials, they, they saw this and it made them so, so mad. So they went to the king and they told the king about these three guys. They said, hey, everyone was bowing down. I mean, the, we went through, we're playing the band, everyone bowed down, but there were these three guys who stood out from everyone else and refused to bow. And this is what it says, in Daniel chapter three, verse 13, it says, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king, summoned Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to del deliver us from it. And he'll deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Man, these guys were for real. I mean, they're talking to the king who has the power to throw them into a furnace if they do not do what he says. And they are just saying straight up, king, it is not gonna happen. They say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, even if we get thrown into the furnace and God does not show up, ooh, show up. I'll tell you what, if he does not show up, 
I said, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know, for these guys, it was black and white. They didn't need to think about it. They weren't gonna bow down to the king. They served God and nobody else. They didn't worship anybody else. They didn't worship who? They worshiped God. That was it. And so when the band came through, they didn't get together and have a team meeting. They didn't have a group huddle and figure out whether they were gonna bow down or stand for them. They served God and nobody else. This was clear cut. This was black and white for these three guys. Either, either they were gonna stand in conviction or they were gonna bow in compromise. I know in my own life, I've faced situations like this. I remember for me, when, when I was growing up, all of my friends were into dirt biking. I had one friend who had a freestyle motocross track in his backyards. A lot of the other guys preferred riding trails, so they'd be out in the woods and up in the sand dunes, and everyone had dirt bikes. And I remember when I got my very first dirt bike, it was a 1998 Honda CR125, little two-stroker, it was a blast. This thing was like a little rocket. And I remember riding this little dirt bike as much as I could and I started riding it more and more and the more I rode it, the the more I got comfortable and used to it and before long I wanted to progress to a better bike. And so I started shopping around for motorbikes, for dirt bikes, but, but I quickly discovered that the dirt bikes that I wanted were way out of my price range. And my price range, I could get a bike, but it was gonna be a piece of junk. I didn't wanna ride around on a piece of junk, I wanted a nice bike. And one of my friends found out that I was looking for a bike. So one day he, he got a hold of me, he said, hey Tim, I've got this lead on a, on a dirt bike. It's a really nice dirt bike. In fact, it's brand new. It's actually in the crate still. And I can get you a great deal on it just for the price that you wanna spend. I was like, man, this is awesome. I knew that this guy had already got a bike off this person before, so it was, it was all for real. He could get the bike, and I was really excited about it. So I had all my money ready. I'm starting to, to you know, dig a little bit deeper. Who do I pay? Where, who would I give the money to? When do I get the bike? And, and the more I looked into it, The more I looked into this bike, I started to discover why it was that this bike was so cheap. Because the guy who was selling the bike did not actually own the bike. (laughs) Turned out this guy worked at the docks in Sydney City in Australia, and when cool things would come through, he'd take a few for himself and sell them on the side. But you know, for me, I had already purposed in my heart that I wasn't gonna be a thief. I had purposed in my life that I wasn't going to go around stealing other people's things or buying things that had been stolen from other people. You know, one of the the funny things about dirt biking is if you buy a stolen motorbike, no one knows about it. No one knows about it. I mean, if you were to steal someone's motorbike, this actually happens quite a lot in Australia. If you steal a motorbike, all you need to do is peel the stickers off, put a new sticker kit on that bike for about 30 bucks, and it's a brand new bike. It's completely different. So if you're riding on a motorbike that's stolen, no one's ever gonna know. And if your bike gets stolen, you're never gonna get it back. Because for 30 bucks, it looks completely different and it goes out the door and sells to someone else. You know, everyone laughs at me with with my dirt bikes over here in Australia. So in America, me me and my wife and my son, we all ride dirt bikes and my wife and I, when we go out riding, I tell you, I'm so paranoid about someone stealing my motorbikes. When we go riding, we've got locks on the front wheels of our bike and we've got locks on the rear wheels of our bike. Because no one's gonna be rolling my bike off the trailer. But I do know that people can lift motorbikes. So we actually got this long lock and we lock our bikes together. So you can't just pick a bike up. But I also understand that if someone wants bikes bad enough, they can, they can do stuff. So we lock the wheels, we lock the bikes to each other, we lock them to the trailer as well. 
So if you want my bikes, you gotta take my trailer. But guess what? My trailer's locked in my car. No one's taking my, I tell you what, I've got more money into my locks than I do my dirt bikes. I tell you what, these things aren't going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. But for me, this guy was gonna sell me a stolen bike for a really good price and no one was going to know about it. But I said no, because for me it was black and white. I decided that I wasn't gonna buy stolen things I wasn't gonna steal. You know, a little more recently, not too long ago, I remember one night I was out with a bunch of my friends and I had another black and white decision to make. We had, we'd been out, out base jumping one night and we got to the, to the ground and we were just hanging around. We packed our parachutes up for the night and we were just sitting around chatting and the night was dying down and we were thinking of heading back home and, and we started getting ready to go back home and all of a sudden the plan started to change. And my friends that I was out with that night, they all said, man, instead of us going home, we should all get together and we should all go to one of the local strip joints. And so they all start organizing which strip joint they're gonna go to, which cars people are gonna ride and how we're gonna get there. And they looked at me and they said, Tim, what car are you gonna go in? Who are you gonna be with on the way to the strip joint? And I said to them, well, actually guys, I'm gonna go home. And let me tell you, this did not make any sense. Let me tell you, I was not with the Res Life crew if you're wondering right now, okay? These were people that aren't a part of church. But you know, I was out. And they were all making these decisions to go somewhere that I didn't want to go. And for me, I didn't go to the strip joint that night. I chose to go home. But you know, I didn't actually think about whether I should or should not go. You know, for me, a long time ago, I purposed in my heart what I would allow my eyes to see. I purposed in my heart where I would allow myself to go. And because I'd already purposed in my heart what I would let myself see and where I would, I would let myself go, when all of my friends were going to this strip joint, for me, I didn't have to think about it. This was clear cut black and white? The answer was no. But you know, we all, we all face decisions like this in life. We all face decisions that are found in the, in the black and white areas. And it's really interesting because most of the time the answer is no. Most of the time it's black and white. We don't think about it. And it's always so strange when we see someone who didn't say no to the black and white things in life. We see people who make these disastrous decisions they make decisions that are completely out of character. Things that are so obvious and so clear, things that you should not be doing or places you should not be going. People making the decision to do that. And we ask ourselves, what were they thinking? How did they get there? It's even worse when you find yourself asking that question about yourself. Man, what was I thinking? How did I end up here? I know I shouldn't have done that. Why did I make the decision to do what I just did? I'm sure we all know exactly how that feels. But this is what we're gonna look at today. Because you know, most of the time, we don't just end up in a place like that. Most of the time, we don't just all of a sudden end up in a place wondering how on earth we got there. Most of the time, the reason that we compromise in the black and white areas of life is because we first compromised in the gray areas in life. This is what I wanna look at today. I wanna have a look at the, at the gray areas of compromise. You know, the reality is nobody, nobody sets out to make bad decisions in life. No one sets out to destroy their life. No one sets out to make one big decision that's gonna end it all. No one sets out to become addicted to pornography. That's nobody's goal. But you might be on a computer or you might be on your cell phone and maybe an ad pops up and you click a link 
And then you click another one and click another one and click another one. And before long, you find yourself in a place where you can't stop clicking. No one sets out to go broke. It's no one's dream for life. But it can be so easy to just spend a little and spend a little more and then spend a little more and then have to borrow a little bit because we spent what we had. So we borrow a little bit, then we borrow some more and we borrow some more. And before long, we've got all of these things, but we don't own any of them. And we end up actually owing more than what the things we have is even worth at all. You know, no one sets out to have an affair in their marriage. That's not the dream. But man, you might be at work and the girl you work with is really cute, so you start flirting a little bit, send a quick text message, little soft touch. Before long, you find yourself in a place with a person that you never thought you would be. This is what happens with the gray areas of compromise. You know, I would argue that it's the gray areas of compromise that make the black and white areas of compromise possible to begin with. And this is why it's so important with the gray areas because if we can learn to overcome and to win in the seemingly insignificance of the small, the gray areas of life, we will by default win in the big black and white areas of our lives. You know, this is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse eight. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, the reality is that we do have an enemy who wants to seek destruction in our lives. He wants to see our lives fall apart. He wants to see us give in to the gray areas and then go a little bit further and give in to the black and white areas. But let me tell you something, the enemy's pretty smart. He's pretty clever. He's been around for a while. And he understands that if he puts a big black and white temptation in front of you, you're most probably gonna say no because it's just that. It's black and white. A lot of the attacks of the enemy aren't these tremendously huge spiritual battles that we think they are. A lot of them, a lot of the time, spiritual attacks come in those small gray areas of life where the enemy tries to just get a hold of you, tries to get just a foothold in your life, just tries to get a place or a position in your life where it can start taking you off course, where you can go gray, 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 a little bit more black and white. But you know, this is what Ephesians 4 verse 27 says. It says, do not give the devil a foothold. In the ESV translation, it says, give no opportunity to the devil. And that's why I wanna look at the gray areas of life. That's why I wanna look at how to win in the gray areas of life. Because like I said just a moment ago, if we can win in the seemingly insignificance of the gray, we will by default win the significance of the black and white. So I wanna have a look at a couple of areas that Samson compromised in. Samson had a huge call on his life. God has his hand all over his life, but Samson compromised in a few different areas and because he compromised in these gray areas that led eventually to Samson's destruction. The first thing I wanna have a look at is Samson compromised where he was in Judges chapter 14. This is what it says. It says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his his father and mother. As they approached the the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord powerfully came upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I'll be honest, that's a weird analogy right there. I'm not sure what it's like to tear a young goat apart, but this is what it was like. And then it says that he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Okay, so this is where I wanna have a look at some gray compromise 
for Samson. Because if you remember Samson, he was a Nazarite. And that first rule of being a Nazarite, you couldn't touch anything grape-related, anything that came from a vine. And so here he is walking to a neighboring city, gets separated at some point from his parents, and he finds himself walking through a vineyard. It says he went down to the vineyard. He purposely went to this vineyard. But what's interesting is that technically, technically wasn't anything wrong with this. I mean, he couldn't touch the grapes, couldn't eat the grapes, couldn't drink the grapes. But man, this vow says nothing about just being around the grapes. And so Samson got caught in the vineyard. He could definitely argue his way out of it. Technically, there was nothing wrong with it. It was justifiable. It was a gray area. You know, I remember when I was turning 18 in Australia, when I'm not sure what the age limit to go nightclubbing here is. In Australia, it was 18. I remember when I was about to turn 18, I was one of the young guys in our group and all of my friends were already out nightclubbing. So come Friday, Saturday night, they'd all go into Sydney City and they'd be clubbing. And, and they weren't going with, a bunch of my friends weren't going with bad intentions to do anything wrong. They, they just loved the music that was there and there was flashing lights and the music was loud and it was fun, a big party atmosphere. They'd go out and just dance and have a good old time. You know, a lot of my other friends though would go clubbing for other reasons. In Australia, if you were to go clubbing, to be honest, I'm not sure what it's like over here, but in Sydney and Australia, if you go clubbing, a lot of the people, I dare say most of the people that go clubbing in Australia don't go straight or sober. I mean, they're on something. And most people go there either just to, to get drunk and to do drugs or to meet a pretty girl on a dance floor and to, to do all kinds of crazy things that normally you, they, they shouldn't be doing. And I remember when I was turning 18, I was faced with the decision in my life, am I gonna go clubbing or not? Because I knew that for me, if I was to go night clubbing, I'm not gonna go to get drunk. I'm not gonna go to do drugs. I'm not gonna go to, to hook up with some girl on the dance floor. I'm gonna go just because it's a bunch of fun. And my friends are there having fun and we'll all just go and have a good old fun time for the night. This is why I would go night clubbing. And I remember talking to my, to my life group, my small group leader about it. I told him, I said, Nick, his name was Nick. I said, Nick, hey, I'm about to turn 18. You know that, all my friends go clubbing. I'm thinking of going clubbing as well. It looks like a whole bunch of fun. Haven't been there, heard it's really cool. What are your thoughts on this? What should I do? And I remember Nick all the time, he'd bring it back to this one question. He'd always say, Tim, why would you wanna go and put yourself in a place where you're surrounded by temptation? He said, I know that you don't wanna do those things. I know that you're not interested in the, in the drugs or the, or the drinks. I know that you're going there for the girls. I know that you're going for, the, for good times, but there's no doubt that you're gonna be completely surrounded by all of this temptation. And I, I knew that a bunch of my friends would try to get me to do some of the silly things that they were doing. I remember one question he asked me one day. He looked at me, he said, Tim, why would you wanna put yourself in the middle of the devil's playground? And it stuck with me. Because I was really navigating this season in my life. And you know, for you, maybe that was black and white. And maybe you're thinking, Tim, what is wrong with you? Why do you even need to think about this? To be honest, for me, as a 17-year-old, almost 18-year-old guy, with all of my friends that were doing it, some for good reasons, some for bad, to me, this was a big deal. But you know, I made the decision before I ever turned 18 that I'd avoid the nightclubs. Not because I was holier than anyone else, not because I was better than anyone else. I made the decision because I didn't want to place myself in a, in a situation where I'd be surrounded continuously by temptation. And even though I could argue my way into that club, oh, I'm only going for the music. I'm only going for the, for the lights and, the, and all that. I'm only going for the atmosphere. I, technically, I could have argued my way into it. 
but I'd be arguing my way into a gray situation. I'd be arguing my way into a place where I would be surrounded by temptation after temptation after temptation. And once again, this is what it says in 1 Peter 5 verse eight. It says, be alert and of sober mind. It says, your devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Hey, I made that des- the decision to stay away from them, from the nightclubs, because I understand there's an enemy who wants to take us out. And if we look at the life of Samson, he got taken out when he, when he placed himself in a, in, a, in a place that he should not have been. He went to the vineyards where he could have argued his way out of it. He could have justified it. It was a gray area. I don't think it's any coincidence that it was when Samson put himself in a gray situation that he got attacked by the lion. I mean, it says here in 1 Peter 5 verse eight that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And for Samson, when he got attacked by the lion, it was when he placed himself in the the vineyard, in the place of gray, in the place of justifiability, in the place of I can get out of this on a technicality. I know I shouldn't be here, but I can argue my way out of it. He went to a gray place and he got attacked by the lion. Now, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 10, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Hey, it might be allowable. It might be explainable. But if it's not gonna build into your life, if it isn't gonna have a positive impact on your life, there is no point trying to argue or justify your way into a place that you know you should not be. Hey, don't put yourself in an environment where it makes it easy to make bad choices. Don't spend time with people who are gonna try to get you to make bad choices. And some things are easy. I mean, if you can't go out and have more than, and you can't just have one drink, obviously don't go to a place like a pub, man. If you can't go out and control your spending, you don't go to a casino. You know what I mean? If you can't control your wallet, don't go strolling through a car lot. I mean, these things are pretty obvious here. But you know, not everything is that obvious. Some of these things we need to think about before we're ever in that place to begin with. Hey, you know, if that, if that girl at work, if she's super cute, but she's not your wife, man, you gotta stop hanging out with her. If the people that you spend your, your time with are people who are going down a different path than the path that God's got for you in your life, you need to choose some new friends. If your business is operating unethically and you find yourself starting to operate that way yourself, you need to find yourself a new job. You know, if you're not married, don't have your girlfriend or your boyfriend over late at night when no one else is around. Don't place yourselves in these gray areas of life because if we keep placing ourselves in the gray areas, we will by default find ourselves in those black and white areas. Man, we look at Samson. He compromised where he was. He compromised where he allowed himself to be. And even though it was justifiable and even though he could argue his way out of it, it was a gray area. And we read that it was in that gray area that Samson was attacked. Song of Solomon's 2 verse 15, it says, catch for us the little, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. 
Man, if you've seen Zombieland, you would know that it's rule number 32. It's the little things. It's the little things. Let me tell you, if you want to win in the big, you've got to first learn to win in the small. If you wanna win in those black and white decisions that have the potential to mess up and completely devastate your life, you need to learn to win in those small, seemingly insignificant areas of the gray. If you're not one of the cool things about Samson's life, and I absolutely love this, if we were to flick over and we look at Samson's life in Judges chapter 16, you know what's interesting about Samson? We ran out of time to look at some of the other areas that he compromised. And he compromised in the places that he was. He compromised with the people that he was hanging out with. And he also compromised with what he touched. And, and Samson made a whole bunch of compromises in these gray areas and it ended up leading to absolute devastation in his life. In Judges chapter 16, it says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. This was his wife. He awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. It says, then the Philistines seized him, they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. And before we look at that next verse, not for Samson in this moment, he found himself in a place where God had left him. He'd made all of these bad decisions and in the end, it was, it was actually Samson's hair, if you know the story, that it was really the outward sign of his inner devotion to God. And, and as long as he had his hair, he kept his strength. And he made a few compromises. He told a girl that he shouldn't, what his weakness was. She cut his hair and then they came and overcame him. And for Samson, they cut his hair. He lost his strength. He got taken away by the enemy and they put him, they gouged his eyes out. They put him in shackles and they set him to grinding grain. Samson's life was an absolute mess. I mean, he'd messed up in a ton of gray areas. And in the end, he messed up in a whole bunch of black and white areas. And his life was just devastated because of it. But I wanna have a look at that final verse here in verse 22. It says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And I love this because if we look at this verse here, man, we can see the extent of God's mercy and grace in Samson's life. He made gray, he made bad decisions in the gray. He compromised in the black and white and he ruined his life because of it. But here, we can see that strength was returning to Samson. And it's so cool because for Samson, it would have been so easy for him to look at his life and the results of the, de the decisions that he had made and think that it was all over. God has left me, I've lost my strength, I'm in a place that I never thought I would be. My life is completely over. But here in this verse, we read that Samson's strength began to return. And later on, we read that once again, the Holy Spirit teamed up with him to do an incredible work in his life. And I love this because I'm sure that there are people here right now. I'm sure that there are people here and maybe you have been compromising in gray areas. Maybe you've compromised in black and white areas. And right now you find yourself asking those questions that we, we asked earlier. How did I get here? How did I end up doing this? How did it ever get to be like this? And maybe that is you and and you find yourself in a place wondering if God could ever use someone like you again, wondering if there's hope for your life, wondering if there's anywhere out from here. Hey, if that's you and you're finding yourself in that place today, I wanna pray for you. If I could get everyone just to close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads. I'm not gonna get anyone to, to raise hands or do anything like that. But if that's you and you find yourself in a place wondering how on earth you got 
to where you are right now. Maybe you have made a lot of bad decisions in the gray. Maybe you've made some devastating decisions that were black and white. And you find yourself wondering if God could ever use someone like you again. Hey, you need to know that He can and He will. We look at Samson. Man, we read that in the final moment of his life, he did more according to his call that God had for him in his final moments than he ever did his whole life. So if that's you, you find yourself in that place, you find yourself asking those questions, I wanna pray for you before we finish up tonight. Say, God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you truly do have a call, a plan, and a purpose for every single person's life that is here tonight. God, we thank you that you empower us. You give us the strength and the wisdom to, to make the right decisions in life, to live according to your call. But God, we thank you that even when we don't, God, we thank you that even though sometimes in life we do make silly decisions and we do go off course, God, we thank you that your mercy, God, we thank you that your forgiveness is always available to us. And God, right now we pray for every single person who finds themselves in that place tonight. God, we thank you. We thank you that you haven't left them. God, we thank you that you haven't walked away from them. God, we thank you that there is always hope because of Jesus. So God, right now, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, we thank you for forgiveness. God, we thank you that in your word, you tell us that your gifts and your call, God, they are irrevocable. God, we thank you that regardless of where people find themselves tonight, Lord, your call on their life, it hasn't changed. God, we thank you that you're not up in heaven pointing a finger or shaking a head, but God, you are just waiting for people to return to you. So God, we thank you that that is exactly what we're gonna see. People who have made bad decisions, people who have gone off track, God, we thank you they're gonna return to you and God, we're gonna see your best. We're gonna see your calling. We're gonna see your purpose fulfilled and outworked in their lives. You know, and if you're here tonight and, and maybe you're here and you don't have God in your life at all. Maybe you've never made a decision to invite God into your life. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ before. Hey, if that's you and you're here and you know that, yeah, I've never actually invited God into my life. Man, I've heard about God. I know about God, but I don't actually know Him personally. Hey, if that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to change that. You know, the reality is just like we see all throughout Samson's life, man, God so desperately wanted to be a part of Samson's life. God would do everything He could to be a part of Samson's life. But you know what, at the end of the day, it was up to Samson to let him in. And you know what, the same is true for us today. God desperately wants to be a part of your life. He wants to see His best outworked. He wants to see His plans and His purposes and His promise outworked in your life. That's why He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus into our world to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and to rise again, all so that He could be a part of your life today. Man, if that's you and you don't have Him in your life, you need to understand tonight that God genuinely cares about you. He genuinely loves you. And guess what? He genuinely likes you as well. He wants to be in your life. And if you're here and you've never made a decision to invite God into your life, in just a moment, I'd love to be able to pray with you. But hey, if you're here and you know that at one point, God was in your life, but for whatever reason right now, He isn't. Hey, if that's you and tonight, you wanna invite God back in, I wanna pray for you as well. So in just a moment, hey, I'm gonna count to three. And if that's you, you know, we do this every single week here at Rest Life. If that's you, you wanna either invite God into your life for the very first time, 
or you want to invite Him back in, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand in the air, just high enough, long enough so that I can sit. I'll acknowledge you. You can put it straight back down. But if that's you and tonight, you want to make a decision, hey, there's hands going up already. That's unreal. You want to make a decision to invite God into your life for the very first time or you want to invite Him back in on the count of three, just slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three. Hey, if that's you, just slip your hand straight up. Yeah, cool, I see that hand in the middle. Another one, that's cool. Are these hands to the side? That's unreal. Is there anyone else here? Tonight, you want to make that decision to start a relationship with God. All right. Cool, hey, well, everyone's eyes are closed. Well, everyone's heads are bowed. Like I said, I wanna, I wanna pray a prayer with you. And what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna say a prayer. And I'm gonna ask every single person here as one church family to be praying this prayer together, but especially those of you who just raise your hands. So church, can you repeat this prayer after me? Say, dear God, I thank you that you love me so much that you would send your only son to die for me. I thank you that from this moment, I'm forgiven, I'm set free, I'm washed clean. And tonight, God, I invite you into my life and I thank you that from here on out, we're doing life together. Amen. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life, or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.